All right, here we go. My name is Todd. This is Gabby. Welcome back to another episode of Pop Culturing, uh, movies and TV through Gen X perspective. And today we're doing a movie called Field of Dreams. And the reason I, so it was my kind of my turn to decide. Um, I, we did, it's complicated in anticipation of Mother's Day. So we decided to do Field of Dreams in anticipation of Father's Day for obvious reasons. But um, I am uh, very excited to talk about this movie more so than I thought I was going to. I'm like, ah, I mean, I always knew I loved the movie. I just didn't know if there was a lot to share about it. And the more I dug in, the more I thought there was to share. So Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to go over my reasons why this movie is important to me or what I like about it, sweetie. But I, I just, what are your first impressions when you think of this movie? Oh, I really like this movie. Um, I, I kind of felt like we decided this together. Do you remember? Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think I maybe floated a bat past you and you're like, yeah, let's do that one. Well, yeah, you, you said, here's the five Mother's Day ones. Here's the four or five Father's yeah. Day ones. Um, but yeah, I, um, I very much like this movie. I have a very... Um, it's obviously I have a connection to it for a lot of reasons. Number one, because it um, came out when in 1989 when I was graduating from high school. Um, it is. Did a, you watch it in the theater? I think so. I can't picture myself in the theater. I just knew I knew the movie, and it's like hard to remember. You know, for again, this is such a Gen X perspective thing to say, but movies would be in the theater, and it would take a long time for it to be available on VHS. At least it felt long, like maybe because well, time were, goes fast now, it doesn't feel long. Well, but. it would be like, depending on how successful a movie is, it would be in the theater, let's say a month. Yeah. But then like three months after that, yeah. it would show up in our movie theater, in so, our blockbusters. So to your point, there was two reasons it took a, a movie a while to end up in your hands. It was because it was at the theater much longer mm-hmm. and because they just, there's just a longer lag time, which was probably just fine. Um, and then also because it's in the mid west um there's a lot of corn which i'm a big fan of um growing up in a very corn centric place and then of course uh there's scenes that are um that were done in galena illinois which is kind of a second home to us so we know all of the background and where they are even though they say they're in minnesota they're actually in galena illinois and you also um like it because sometimes you get corn fused i do get corn fused Um, i always did i grew up in decal um i am going to play the trailer because it's pretty it's well done and it will bring everybody back okay here we go i have just created something totally illogical If you build it, he will come. If you build it, he will come. If you build what, who will come? Didn't say. I hate it when that happens. Me too. Who's your invoices? Ray is. I think I know what if you build it, he will come means. Ooh, why do I not think this is such a good thing? Daddy, there's a man up there in your lawn. Are you a ghost? What do you think? You look real to me. Interesting. You believed in the magic. It happened. Isn't that enough? Annie, it's more than that. I feel it as strongly as I've ever felt anything in my life. There's a reason. Go the distance. Did you hear the voice, too? Did you hear it? 
go the distance. Yes. Our grave is dead. He died in 1972. Are you Moonlight Graham? No one's called me Moonlight Graham in 50 years. Unbelievable. It's more than that. It's perfect. You build a baseball field in the middle of nowhere, and you sit here, and you stare at nothing. This field, this game, it's a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good. Hey, is this heaven? No. It's Iowa. Kevin Costner. It's Iowa. It's Iowa. Very famous line. Isn't that a great summation of the movie? It is. And, you know, I'll finish on these two notes. Like, you know how I said it came out in 1989. I think one of the themes of the movie, you know, I'm graduating from high school. I'm you know, being forced to become an adult. And a lot of the underlying themes of this movie are about aging Mm -hmm. and about losing your desire to do something important and about getting old. And even though people don't think about it that way, that's really what's going on here. It's about what do you trust in? What do you believe in? What direction are you going? Um, And also about relationships, which is like my favorite thing in the world. And I, you know, I love when we watched it again last night, um, you know, the... The scene that I really like, which they played right there, is when he's like, I just, you know, this is really illogical, what I'm doing. Like, I'm going in a direction that doesn't make sense for the age we are and for having a child and for owning a farm. I'm following my internal drive. And, you know, thank goodness the people in this movie... I like them all. I mean, they all, nobody's perfect. They're humans, but like just her, just, you know, his wife, Annie being like, well, that's, that's cool. That's what I like about it. Like it's, there's something very good. You know, it's in alignment with really who we are because it feels good. Well, and, um, I would say that the, it, it also asks the movie viewer to suspend logic Mm -hmm. and to suspend disbelief. Yes in order to enjoy the movie, which is as somebody who loves being logical and practical, it pushed me out of my comfort zone. And if you would have pitched this idea to me before seeing the movie, I'd be like, that's dumb. Like, why would anybody ever plow their corn, all their money to build a baseball field in the middle of nowhere? But somehow through the magic of cinema, it just is this wonderful thing. So I Googled a few themes on why what makes this movie special. Can I say something sure, about what you just said? Is I think the reason they do that so well, or to me, because I'm a little more of a woo-woo, I'm much more of a woo-woo person than you are. You're more practical. Is I like the way it's it's shown because of the way Ray Kinsella describes it. He's not like, my mind is blown. Oh my God. He's like, this is really interesting. Yeah. This is really cool. This is really, you know, I don't know why, but hello. Like, there's not a – because that's how I feel we are experiencing things every day in life, and we don't acknowledge it enough. Like, there was a period of time where I kept a coincidence journal mm-hmm. um, for a long time. And and I still sometimes write them down, but not the way I used to. And what you find is there's coincidences every day. Sure, There's crazy things that happen where you're just like, that is really interesting. Or, you know, you meet someone and they happen to know someone who knows someone and then something happens. But it, it, you, you're like, we are so interconnected. And there's things that we could have never predicted or understood that are real. And so I appreciate... We don't have a good word for that besides coincidence. What's the word? Well, I, this may be related, and it's kind of, this is a little tangential, but I think it's important. So the word that I'm thinking of is wonder, okay? Okay, I like Curiosity. that. Curiosity. Yeah. And the reason I say this is because my friend Mark just literally emailed me this morning uh, some blog about how we are per- trying to pursue happiness, and, and the pursuit of happiness is actually what makes us unhappy. Right. And instead, if we could... Um, 
try to cultivate wonder and curiosity and openness and expansiveness through our, you know, comfortable emotions and our uncomfortable emotions, that's actually what will help us arrive at this state of happiness, not right. the seeking out of happiness. So yeah. for me, this movie it invites us to be to bring wonder into our lives. And, you know, and again, I know you're going to say all the themes, but wonder that we all have access to. Mm -hmm. See, because sometimes we're like, well, that happened to that person or that person had that experience, but it's because the people who are experiencing wonder have a self-trust and an internal like drive or an intrinsic motivation that allows them to experience wonder. If you are in life, just taking steps that grant you some kind of external validation, money, you know, culture, what my friends tell me to do, what my parents told me to do, I'm going to study what's safe. You're not going to have a lot of wonder. Right. I mean, I, I hate to be such a downer, but they're really, how do you... And it's what makes us different from the animals. Exactly. I don't know if dogs can wonder. I don't know if orangutans can wonder. Maybe they can I wonder, they but, but we're pretty, we have the capacity and you can insert wonder, you can insert imagination, awe. awe. Um, so I'm just going to roll off some of these themes and you riff off of them, okay. but I'll just re read them off real quick. Feel the Dreams invites belief and imagination. Right, imagination. Which is what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Father-son relationships. Yeah. Redemption and second chances. Correct. Baseball. Yeah, which, which I we love. love. Mm -hmm. The role of women. An you know, Annie, is that her name? Yeah. Um, and how amazing she is. Yeah. Uh, She's the grounding force of the whole movie. She is. Uh, nostalgia and the past, life and death, and rural America. Yes. Can I just throw out one thing because it has to be said and then I'm going to put a pin in it? Sure. Let's put a pin in something okay. after you say something. I am going to put a pin in this because during Terrence Malick's speech at the end. Terrence Malick? No, that's Terrence Malick's the director. <laughs> Terrence Mann. Yeah. Is that right? Terrence Mann? Yeah. Terrence Malick's the director. Terrence Mann. Okay. Terrence Mann, Yes. He says that we can go back to a time when... Iowa. Oh, sorry. We can go back... You don't have to play it. No, I'm not going to. We can go back to a time when things were good. Mm -hmm. And I get a little worried about listening to that, that that's that MAGA kind of feel. Well, you not know just what I mean? that. There was a lot of... I mean, this was when things were good. Was that mean 1920s? Because there's a lot of bad things that were going right. on in our world in right. the 1920s. Right. And there is a lot of bad things going on in 1980s. I think if I were to rework that scene, which nobody's asking me to, I would say that baseball mm -hmm. is the consistent thing that has reminded us of the good in every stage. Yes. Not that going back in time, like I get it, the people are going to come see the players from, you know, from a different time and relive their youth. Like I, I get it. Yeah. But I, when we romanticize a time that it was a better time sure. and that we need to go back to that time, I think we, that it's a, at least at this stage we're in, in 2023, that's not a great thing to say. Well, and especially in baseball, like there's, you know, let me just say one thing that I used to love about baseball. Yeah. The all-star game, because in the all-star game, when I was growing up, people didn't change teams. Like uh -huh. Pete Rose was, a, was a Cincinnati red, or maybe a, I think he played for the Phillies and the Reds, but Rod Carew was on the Angels. Uh, Babe Ruth was on the Yankees. I know he got traded from Boston, but nowadays, baseball, people change all the time. Because of contracts, yeah, money. because of contracts, agents. free agency, mm -hmm. the money that is mm -hmm. grabbed onto. If yeah. you look at the average salary for a baseball player in 1985, mm -hmm. I'm guessing it was like $200,000. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now it's like $3.5 3. or something like that. 
the thing is, there was all, but there was a lot of, and you know, like steroids intruded yeah. in baseball, but yeah. there was people taking um, uppers or speed or whatever it is in the 70s and the 80s. Sure. Like they, I think they called them greenies or I forget what they called them. So in gambling, this and gambling, this whole idea that baseball was more pure back then. Yeah. It really wasn't. We right. want to view it as more pure. Right. And maybe there are some examples of how it was more pure. Um, so let me kind of cut to, cut to the chase of what I think they're attempting to say yeah. is when we experienced baseball as children, we were innocent. Yes. So we throw it thro- saw it through a lens of innocence. Yes. And so we're not really going back to a time that was better. We are going back to a time when we were innocent. Yes. So these people who are lining up to go see the games in Dyersville, you know, Iowa, yeah. it's because they want to remember innocence, not because they want to go back to 1952 or 1923. Right. Um, and I think that that is like, there's so many baseball movies that that's what it's about. Like mm-hmm. the plot is a kid loved baseball when they were little. And it's their grounding center and, you know, yeah. it's it's fever pitch. Well, you know, it's, <laughs> sometimes you don't want to get certain things wrong. I don't want to get certain things wrong. Okay, so I understand. Pete Rose did play for the Reds, the Phillies, and the Expos. And I did not remember the Expos. So let's have a moment together sure. on that. So to me, pop culture is super important and you're like, nobody cares. Yeah. To you, sports is really important and it matters to you. Well, it, what it matters, it's not even like if I make a mistake um, that the audience is going to use the information and be less smart about it. It's honestly an egoic thing. That's my point. Yeah. For me too. Right. Like I, I'm not saying, but then people have the wrong information because nobody cares. Nobody's I, yeah, writing I, down I, what I'm saying. I don't I'm want saying. people to think I don't know what teams Pete Thank wrote. You. So it's all me. Me too. Yeah, right. If I haven't been clear about that, yeah. that's me too. It's like me saying something wrong mm-hmm. and then I listen to it the next day or I remember I said something and I'm like, I, I said that wrong, but I actually know yeah. the information. Yeah. So we kind of, people are like, they don't really know. Right. And we do, but we, we don't do. know everything. No. Okay, go ahead. Um, okay, so those were the themes which makes this, and these are a few personal reasons why I like this movie. Okay. I loved Annie's belief in her husband. Yep. Loved it. Um, the, and, where, and can I stop you there? Sure. Why do you think Annie has belief in her husband? Because um, it's not just a woman believing she, in her man. She trusts She trusts him. She knows that things will work out. She trusts herself. Yeah. So when you trust yourself, mm-hmm. you have the capability to know that somebody else. To trust else. anybody else. Exactly. Because right. Annie is a powerhouse. Like she knows what's good and... Yeah. Okay. Um, I liked the idea that you can meet your dad as a younger man. Wouldn't that be great? Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Like, my dad's 83 right now. Your dad passed away a few years ago. It's so, like, it hurts my brain to think about meeting my dad as anything other than the time, the age and time that I now understand him to be. I know. Well, in my, you know, we, like you said, my dad died in 2017. But prior to that, through my whole life, I was always trying to Did get to know my dad. Twenty seventeen. Yeah. Jeez, Elise. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yes. Like we would want to be like two years ago. Yeah. But really, right. that's not the case. But I was always trying to get to know my dad as a young person. Like he always had these yearbooks that my sister still has, mm-hmm. and people would write things in them and say things about him. And I'd be like, "What's this story?" And yeah. you know, the story about my dad having a knife in his eye, and he would never really tell me what happened. And 
I find out things like I got a newspaper clipping the other day about that he used to be in charge of the gun club at the high school. My dad used to be in the NRA and then quit in the 80s when he saw it kind of go and he it used from to be one, for safety. one organization yeah. to another. So it's like you learn these things and you're like, man, what was that human like? And just... I learned that he had some learning disabilities and I learned that he had to get some remediation in college and things. And my dad's an academic. Mm -hmm. And so it's just interesting to even think about him in that way. Um, And so to your point, it's like a, what if you met them before they had to be so responsible? Crazy. Right? Yeah. Well, and that's interesting with your dad. Yeah. Right? How old was he when he and your mom got married? Uh, geez, I don't know. I think he was like 25. And what was he doing before he was a police officer? He was a bartender. He was a bartender. Okay. And then he also delivered flowers. I thought he did that while he was a police officer or he he just went back to it. He He worked at a flower shop. Imagine my dad working in a flower shop. No, but it's very interesting. (laughs) Um, so some other things I like about it. Um, we don't know whose voice it is. Like the the if you build it, he will come voice. Did you read though who they think it is? They think it's Ed Harris. Yeah. Because that's Amy Madigan's husband. Yeah. But why don't why don't why didn't somebody tell us who it is? I kind of like the fact that we don't. Well, okay, so can we debate the voice for a second? Sure. Okay. So do you think that voice is his dad? I know I'm not talking about the actor who no, does right, the right. voice. Do you think that voice is his dad mm-hmm. or do you think that voice is him? I think it's like God or something. Okay, so at the end, um, when it's kind of one of my... There's so many favorite moments in this movie. There's, it's so warm. Yeah. This movie like makes you feel so good. But when Shoeless Joe is running and he's like... Or when his dad shows up mm-hmm. and Shoeless Joe's about to leave and Ray says something like, it was him. Mm-hmm. And then Shoeless Joe says, no, it was you. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Ease your pain. Yeah. So... Are we easing his father's pain? Right. Or is Ray easing his pain? So is so to your point, we can debate, is our internal guidance a universal, is it, you know, for people who appreciate the word God right. or people who appreciate the word universe, is it that voice? Yeah. Is it his internal guidance, whatever we want to call it, angels? Like this is where language doesn't serve us very well because everybody has a different word for it. I think I have the scene. Okay. grinning at you, ghost. If you build it, he will come. So, pan over to his dad as a young man. Yeah. And does does Joe Jackson say something else to him? Listen. What? What is it? It's my father. his pain. Go the distance. It was you. It was you. No, Ray. It was you. Okay. Okay. So, so when Ray says it was you, he's looking at Joe Jackson saying it was Joe Jackson's voice, I think. 
And then, and he whisper. Kevin Costner's character is whispering it, and and Joe Jackson is way far, way away. far away, so he can't right audibly hear him. Yet he does hear him because so he's a ghost. You think he's saying to Joe, "It was you." I don't know. I do not know. I don't know. I think he is, even if he's whispering it, I think he's saying under his breath that it was his dad. It was you. Mm-hmm. It was ease, it, like his dad was saying, ease his pain, meaning the father's like, ease my pain. Mm-hmm. And and Joe's like, no, you needed to ease your pain. Now, the beautiful part is it can be both. I think it is both because the dad has pain because um, Ray Kinsella's uh, mom passed away when he was very young. So it was him and his dad. Well, he has pain because his son disconnected from him. Right. Right. Yes. So, and, you know, he also led a life of no wonder. Right. All he did was work and never really. And and the thing that I will say about that is you have, you lose your wife in that time and space. Sure. And you are a parent to this child. Yeah. And you have to have money. You have to put food on the table, just like single moms no today. Choice. So it's like for him, and, and Ray couldn't understand this as a young man, but he can't. Or at the, wherever he was in life, you mm-hmm. know, John Kinsella, wonder wasn't on the table. Yeah. And so, and I think Ray understands that. He's losing the farm. All these things are happening where he's like, I understand now mm-hmm. what my dad could and couldn't do. Right. He was a young man. At one point he did have dreams. Yeah. You know? So, and Ray's pain is that he never had a chance to... He disconnected he from his no dad. He had no closure from yeah. his dad. Well, and he said a mean thing to him to um, to disconnect from him. What did, what did he say? Do you remember? He said, I could never respect a man whose idol is a criminal. Oh, there you go. And that's And that Joe. was Joe Jackson. Mm-hmm. And then Terrence says, but you knew he wasn't a criminal. Right. And he's like, well. And just so everybody knows, the reason he was a criminal is because Joe Jackson was one of eight other White Sox players in, I think, the 1919 World Series. Uh, who were suspended permanently from baseball for taking money by gam- from gamblers to throw the World Series. Now, the one thing that goes down in the history books is that Joe Jackson actually did take the money, yet he played very well he in the World Series. He had a good Series. game, yeah. And if you want to know more about that, just watch Eight the movie Men. Eight Men Out, which is really good. Um, I will say this is a new category I haven't sprung on you, sweetie. Oh, let's hear it. It's called... What song do you think of when you hear when you think of this movie? And it could be a song from within the movie hmm. or a song not from within the movie. And I'm about to play the song that I think of that is not within the movie. I hope it's not put me in coach. No, that would be good though. <laughs> See my new job's a hassle. Oh yeah. The flu. But it's your nice talking to you, Dad. It's been your nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me He'd grown up just like me My boy was just like me And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon And I think this song goes down as the one that's most likely to make grown men cry. Really? I mean, I don't, that's not scientific, but I can't think of one that hits... Harder. Harder than that one. So it, it reminds me of um, a quote, a James Baldwin quote that I was just using yesterday when I was writing. And in, so we're going to put on our Zen Parenting Radio hat for a second, everybody. Hold on. Um, children have never been very good at listening to their elders, but they have never failed to imitate them. <laughs> so, you oh know. Oh, yeah, that's so good. Yeah. So it's like we... Um, 
We don't listen. We yet, don't listen, but we we, we do. We do, and what we see. We do because that's we're you know. There's so many layers of this. There is like the neurobiological layer. There's the psychological layer. There's the spiritual layer. There's and so we aren't imitating our parents because we're necessarily choosing it. It's just we're bathing in it. We're yeah. like marinating in what our parents are. Right. And this is why when we're on Zen Parenting Radio, Tad and I are always talking about you know, the importance of role modeling. And I don't mean role modeling perfection. I mean, mm -hmm. being a human being, yeah. how to, how to deal with pain, how to cry, how to grieve, how to be, how to practice kindness, how to practice self-compassion. Like it's not about suppressing. It's about being your full human self. So your kids learn to do that too. Because if you try and tell them to be something, forget it. they're not going to hear you. Doesn't work. Children learn by by watching how you live. This is a quote from my first book. Children don't learn from listening to what you say. They learn by watching how you live. That is the and why I call it neurobiological. It is the hardwiring of their brain. Yeah. Because they grew up in a home with you. So it's not um sometimes we're like and we just end up in this pattern where we're doing exactly what our parents sometimes did. Sometimes we're like what? How did we get there? No, no, you're supposed to say that sound effect. I really like that sound effect. <laughs> well, it's like, it's like a leveling up or down. It's like where, you know, we think we're doing all these things and then all of a sudden we react a certain way like our parent does mm -hmm. or we make a choice that our parent would or we, we have, we're, we're very reactive with our anger like yeah. our parent and we're like, how did we, how did we get there? Yeah. And as kids were like, I would never be like that. I would never do that. I would never do that. And all of a sudden you're, so this is not something to be afraid of, but to be aware of. Mm -hmm. And when, and to, as a parent, when you are talking to your kids and telling them, Hey, don't vape while you are vaping, they're they're not hearing the message of or don't be addicted to your screen as you're watching your the game and checking your email exactly. and doing something else at the same time and it le and so people say well what do I do because I need my phone or I'm addicted to my vape or whatever be honest about it yeah. talk about it yeah. say this is hard for me that's this something is something I'm struggling with that's too that's something they can connect with for sure. exactly like to say to a kid like I understand why you like this because I do too and do you know do you know about what addiction feels like or or what you know so you're being a full human rather than a lecturing power over mm -hmm. human being, you know? So anyway. Um, a few other things I love about this movie. Yeah. I love the idea that the naysayers can't see the baseball players. It's the best part because it's that. so... It's it, metaphorical. It's, it is. It's spiritual Yeah, Because nature. you love numbers and coincidences, and there's times when you share those stories with me, and sometimes I'm wondrous about it, and other times I'm like, oh, that's weird, and then I move on. And it doesn't mean you're right and I'm wrong, or I'm right and you're wrong, but... Unless you're wearing the the curiosity hat, you're not going to see this stuff. Right. And you want to know when I see this stuff the most? Mm. When I'm grieving. Yeah. When I'm grieving, I'm like a wide open. And when I say grieving, I don't mean like at, immediately after a loss. I mean when I'm in that really vulnerable place, I see it everywhere. I see numbers. I see birds. I see butterflies. I hear sounds. I get information because I'm so open. And sometimes sharing it dilutes it. You know what I mean? Well, what I was going to say is the reason I think those 
symbols, metaphors, reminders, coincidences show up when you're grieving. I think when we're grieving, we're more our authentic selves. Yes, you're open. You're more open to yeah. it. So, Yeah, and you are not so, like I have so many, the guardrails aren't necessarily defense mechanisms. They're just life guardrails. They're like, I'm moving through life. I got to do the next thing. I got to do the next thing. I got to be productive. I got to make dinner. And when you're grieving, you like on Friday, I was, it was my daughter's last day of school. And uh, my middle daughter, she's graduating this Sunday, so she's all done with high school. And I've been kind of doing okay with it. I've been talking to my therapist about it. Like I've been trying to have these grief sessions where I'm being in tune with it. But on Friday, I got hit like over the head, like with a hammer. And so I was sitting in a chair for how long? Three hours? A good chunk of the morning. <laughs> and I kept texting my friends saying, you guys, I'm like stuck. Like I'm crying. I'm, And they're like, sit there, sit there, sit there. Like sometimes you need someone because uh, uh, Todd, you're my favorite person in the whole world, but you go straight back to work. Yeah. Like Todd goes to the office. He's asking me questions. Like, and I can't, I can't shift like that. And so I need someone to say, it's okay to sit there. Mm-hmm. Not why are you sitting there, but like understand, because I would tell people that all the time. So I need people to tell me. And- I felt very open and alive and I felt very sad and it was also absolutely necessary. Um, Well, and I'll just say one more thing about grief or loss or when things are not going well in one's life. That's when most musicians say their best work comes from. That's creative. Right? Imagination. You you aren't stuck in a pattern. Your pattern has been disrupted and your world has kind of been, even if it's something where it's supposed to be happening, like your daughter's graduated from high school, that's the plan, that's a good thing. But there's something where you're like, my life is changing. And so you're not in a pattern, you're like open to new patterns. And like, so, and just emotions. Like I think when we cry or when we grieve, we have more space for maybe what we weren't able to consider. Yeah. Um, a few other things that I love about this movie. One is um, the sound of a Midwestern summer. Oh, the crickets. The best. Uh, it's just like, I love that sound. Um, part of me wishes I could... Do you ever watch a movie for the 45th time like we we do often? Yeah. That you wish you can view it again for the first time? Sometimes. To experience it without not, knowing nothing about it? Sometimes. Almost it's like, like I... I did not give myself permission to be impacted because I was having a bad day or I went in with a sense of high expectations or low expectations. I would love to be able to see this movie for the first time. You know, I I totally know what you're saying. I think that you and I are a little different in that I am someone who likes to know the plot and the structure so I can absorb the deeper meanings. Like I tend to watch shows like, you know, something like Yellow Jackets or whatever more than once because I'm like, okay, now I got the plot of what they're doing. Now I want to feel all the stuff that's happening. Mm -hmm. And so for me going into Field of Dreams now, even though I totally understand what you're saying, I appreciate that I don't have to follow a storyline. I just get to enjoy the feeling moments. Like I know what's happening. I know who this guy is. I know who this dude is, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So in a way to, I, I... What I will tell you, though, is I still cry at the end of that movie. I got goosebumps multiple times. Me too. And that's what I mean is like it doesn't fail. Knowing what's going to happen or who this man is at the end or the first time Shoeless Joe comes out, like I actually will tell you that every time Karen comes in, that's his daughter, and says there's a man on the field, Mm -hmm. it's almost a scary feeling. It's haunting. It is. It's because, first of all, there's no, he doesn't have lights on the field yet, and so you can't really see who it is, but Ray knows 
that it's somebody up. important because he's been waiting for a season yeah. for this to happen. Yeah, because you see him through the whole winter. Yep, watching um, the field. So it's like I'm getting goosebumps now. Like it doesn't fail to to give me the feels. Well, and I will say that um, it's funny because I typically don't cry in movies, but I do get that feeling inside my body, the goosebump feeling. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as somebody who shared a bazillion times that I sometimes judge myself because I should have certain experiences, I'm now getting more friendly with the idea of, oh, the way I do it is I get this energetic, I don't know what, I don't know how to describe it, but from my tailbone all the way up my back mm -hmm. in these certain moments. Tingles. Tingles, mm -hmm. thank you. Um, so I'm just getting more friendly with, oh, well, maybe maybe I'd get the tingles, goosebumpy stuff. Yeah, and I would believe that because you are on the search, you are searching for a pattern or somebody feels this way, so I need to feel that way versus how does my body experience Instead this. of being present. Right. Yeah, You're sure. kind of looking outside yourself again versus, oh, the way, because, you know, you, you just said this, Todd, but the way people feel grief, warmth, sadness... Um, or awe feels different depending on who you are. For sure. You know? Um, so this is another category I haven't told you about. Okay. I just Wait, what was the last court category? Um, what song does this... Did But I didn't give a song. I didn't want to put you on the spot because I didn't prepare you. I know. Um, I, you, you know, there is another one. There's one by Cat Stevens called Father and Son. Mm -hmm. That's the only one I could come up with because it, it often is put alongside... Uh, How does it go? I've heard it. Can you sing it for me? Uh, no. Come on, babe. No, I don't really want to sing. Um, <laughs> I, you know, part of the reason is because of how the song goes. Like if it was a rock song and I could just go dun dun dun, yeah. but it's like, it's, it's, you know, take your Which time. Which one do you like better, Cats in the Cradle or Father and Son? I think, um, Cats in the Cradle is, I knew it first. Father mm -hmm. and Son, I think I came across in college and, um, but it's. It's the same kind of disconnection, the same kind of like, you know, not knowing each other. I'm going to play some of it. Okay. Be here tomorrow. Oh, yeah. But your dreams may not. How can I try to explain? When I do, he turns away again. Oh, yeah. So is it the same idea, disconnection? Yeah, it's, it's like we don't get each other. Oh, I'll take the Cats in the Cradle one, but that's a pretty good backup yeah. for sure. Um, so here's a new category. Okay. I'm going to call it Other Scenes. And what it is is I've put together three or four scenes from actors in this movie, but makes me think of them in the other movie. It'll make more sense when I start playing it. Ready? Okay. Here we go. On the dark side, Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. I'm picturing him with his fists. Oh, yeah. He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. Uh -oh. Spoiler alert. <laughs> no. It's not true. That's impossible. Luke is so mad. Well, I was just going to say, I think Mark Hamill kind of gets a lot of crap for, the, you know, in, the dialogue. Yeah. And, and it's not his fault. George Lucas wrote it. But I think in that scene, he acts like a little boy in a really cool way. Yeah, I agree. He's like a child. He's like, got it. He, all of his dreams have just been, like, destroyed. His father is the worst human in the world. He's not even human. All right. You ready for the next one? Yeah. Wait. But what it, what is what are you playing that for? Just Connect because me. it's James, James Earl Jones. Oh, okay. James Earl Jones. Mm-hmm. This is a tasty <laughs> burger. Vincent, you ever had a big kahuna burger? 
Want a bite? They're real tasty. Ain't hungry. Well, if you like burgers, give them a try sometime. Me? I can't usually get them because my girlfriend's a vegetarian, which pretty much makes me a vegetarian, but I do love the taste of a good burger. Mm. You know what they call a quarter pound of a cheese in France? No. Tell them, Vincent. Royale with cheese. Royale with cheese. You know why they call it that? Because of the metric system? <laughs> check out the big brain on bread. <laughs> How many times have I said, check, check out, out the, the big, big brain on bread? But now, why are you playing that for a field of dreams? Because Brad is in the movie. That's the same actor. <gasps> You're right. That's Archie. Yeah, it's Archie Graham, sweetie. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry I didn't connect that. So those are very... So Jules eating the burger with Archie Graham. Are you ready for the next one? All right, let's this go. This one you'll get pretty quickly. Okay. In 2005. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> I also see from your resume that you're devilishly handsome, but with a churning inner turmoil that's always ready to blow. I enjoy what I do. Is that a crime? Not yet it isn't, but is this what it's come to for you, Mr. Leota? Exploiting tiny, helpless bees so you don't have to rehearse your part and learn your lines, sir? Watch it, Benson. I could blow right now. This isn't a good fella. This is a bad fella. I love the best part about that scene is he's holding his Emmy from his <laughs> ER appearance. He was on one ER episode. The the B movie uh, connection in our home is quite strong. I feel like Todd taught our girls about who Ray Liotta was, who Sting was, who Oprah was because of Bill or uh, B movie. Yeah, for sure. So now our girls like everything relates back to B movie. So last night we were like. There he is. You ready for the last one? Yeah. Think about Lamar, Poindexter, babe. Poindexter, who plays whatever his name is, the brother-in-law. Yeah, and you know, it's funny that you would say that because to me, he is from 30-something. Oh, really? Remember 30-something? I never saw that show. Oh, my goodness. He was Were one of the four main characters. When that show was going on? Correct, which is why it was so meaningful, especially yeah. my friend Laura and I, because it's like those are who those are the people we're going to become. Yeah. It was like right there on the horizon. It was a great show, actually. You know what, Todd? It is. It was like the pre- you know, parenthood yeah. type of show. Yeah. Like the pre-Friday Night Lights kind of yeah. show. Like it was like a lot of dialogue, mm -hmm. a lot of relationship focus. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Timothy um, Busfield, is that his name? That sounds right. Timothy Busfield, yeah. And then lastly, we didn't talk about Burt Lancaster. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a movie that guy's been in, but there's one that I've heard of. Okay, let's hear it. From Here to Eternity. Yeah. Never, yeah. I never saw it. But that's all I got. Yeah, for... I, it, like we all know, maybe we don't all know, I'm being a Gen Xer here. Um, we know who Burt Lancaster is, but I don't know, like, you know, he was just kind of one of those names like Clark Gable, Burt Lancaster, uh, Lancaster. But let's see, I'm looking from here to eternity, um, Cleo, or no, no, 
No. Field of Dreams. Don't know that. Um, Do you want me to read you some? No, I'm looking at them right now. Sorry, everybody. This is not good podcasting. I'm just reading. Atlantic City. I kind of remember that in the 80s. You seen it? No, no, no. I didn't see it. I just remember it. Um, Oh, Birdman of Alcatraz. He was in the original Sweet Smell of Success. Yeah, so I'm kind of with you. Um, Oh, Tough Guys. Remember Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas? Oh, yeah, yeah. I do remember that. Yeah, so he was just kind of a... Who's the modern day Burt Lancaster? Tom Hanks. Okay, so he was that big. Well, I think Tom Hanks is actually Jimmy Stewart, but he is in that echelon. Do you know that the director tried to get Jimmy Stewart to play that part, and Jimmy Stewart said no because he was um, 10 years removed from acting, so he just he, he said no. Interesting. Right? I loved the way Burt Lancaster played So do it. I. I think he's so sweet and warm, and he captures exactly the person they're trying to describe. Mm-hmm. Um he he's really uh, what's not subdued. He doesn't overdo it. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. just that's how an older gentleman would be. He doesn't overact. No, that's how an old you know a man of that generation would speak. Um, all right, so I'm gonna rattle off my favorite, co- the coolest parts of the movies, and you tell me which one you like or a few that you like because I'm sure we'll we'll have the same one. Sure. The first coolest part of the movie for me was Joe Jackson being on the field for the very first time yeah. when. The little girl says, "There's, some, there's, there's base, a man, on, there's the a man on the field, like goosebumps, right?" The baseball people. Um, the second is, and if you think there's another one uh-huh. that I'm skipping over, let me know. Okay. The time travel in, we'll call it Galena, Illinois, because mm-hmm. that's where they filmed it. Yeah. But um, Kevin Costner's character walks out because uh, James Earl Jones' character um, has to make a phone call. And he time travels, I think, or, oh, yeah. right? 1972. And as a viewer, we have no idea. We just think he's going out for a walk. And then it, and then the gap man turns around and it's Moonlight Graham. And mm-hmm. we're seeing that for the first time. That was pretty awesome. Are you trying to go in order? Because there's sort already of. one. Okay, yeah. so the one that I would go back to, and I think it's important character development for Annie, is the PTA meeting. Okay. I didn't necessarily get warm fuzzies. I just thought it's it was important. very interesting that we are still struggling with people who want to ban books. Yeah. <laughs> I remember watching this movie for the first time and being like, wow, this is really a throwback, people who want to ban books. And here we are in 2023, and people are trying to ban books. Um, and so Annie gives a good speech. Obviously, it's very um, very movie-ish where mm-hmm. everyone ends up agreeing with her at the end, and I don't think it'd be that way today. Um, but, you know, the whole idea of that our kids are reading smut or that we're, like, you know, hurting their brains by them actually reading about what it feels like to be their age. Um, and you know, just too much, too much, uh, too much deciding how everybody else should live. You ready to hear it? Yeah. Field. <laughs> now there's an intelligent response. Annie. The weirdo. <laughs> Annie. Honey, it's all right. I'll be cool. I'll be cool. At least he is not a book burner. You Nazi cow. At least I'm not married to the biggest horse's ass in three counties. All right, Beulah, do you want to step outside? <laughs> Fine. Uh, Annie, Annie. All right, all right. And then she goes on for a bit. She, yeah, and she gives a, a nice speech about isn't, you know, aren't what we're fighting for in this country, you know, the ability to read what we want and to, you know, why did we... <laughs> Why did we go to war with Nazism if we want to embrace that? It's crazy. Right. And um, 
But what I love about the scene, I love Kevin Costner in this scene because he's so distracted because mm-hmm. yeah. he's getting another message. Yeah, or he's getting he's, a download from the universe. Is that from the voice where he has he's, his he's pain? his pain? Okay, so he's right. He's figuring out, and what he realizes there is because they're talking about Terrence Malick. Or I keep Terrence saying Terrence Man. Malick. Terrence Mann's book, The Boat Rocker, that um, that he that's he's supposed to go get Terrence Malick. So yeah. you know everything Terrence is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! You have to help me. Uh, I just did. Okay, thank okay. you. Terrence Mann Man. created character for this movie yes. because he was supposed to be J.D. Salinger. J.D. Salinger, catch, and then Catcher I, in the Rye. Yeah, I watched a uh, docu- not a documentary, an interview with the director, writer, director last night, and um, he, the writer of the book, I think, had J.D. Salinger in mind, and then the director wanted to do it, and then he heard from the people representing his estate said, please don't, Yeah, we're not happy that this was in the book. Please don't put it on a different platform. Don't put it in a movie. And the director said to himself, if, you know, cause he was a fan of J.D. Salinger. Mm-hmm. If this is the only thing this man wants is to be left alone, then let's leave him alone. Yeah. And from what I understand about J.D. Salinger, you know, obviously Catcher in the Rye will always be a classic and it really, you know, strikes a chord with people who are that age. Yeah. Um, but he was not happy that he wrote it. That's crazy. I know. Um, and so he was not happy because of the attention it brought to him. Wow, Todd, this is crazy. I just got a text from my aunt because I'm sorry to like jump into this. Are you being wondrous right now? I'm being very wondrous because I texted my aunt this morning, so it's not that crazy that this is happening. But the Galena piece that I'm just going to jump into is that my grandparents um, lived in Galena. My mom lived in Galena. My aunt lived in Galena. And they ran the Ben Franklin on Main Street. For people who are our age, you may remember it if you ever visited there, but it like took up two buildings and it was a dime store called Ben Franklin. It was my grandfather's. It burned down. And it was a huge deal. Like it was my grandfather's greatest fear that it would burn. Like that was one of his greatest fears. And so I, I, we were watching the movie last night. And I was looking at Main Street, and I was, tr- I was wondering it's when they're in the small town with Moonlight Grand. Yeah, so they're else. saying they're in Minnesota, but yeah. they're in. Uh, so I was looking down Main Street, and I was like, was it the Ben Franklin, or was it what it is now? Mm-hmm. You know, which is the chocolate shop and then another store. And so I was like, what year did it happen? It burned down in 1989. So I wonder if it happened right after this movie was filmed. I think that's what happened. That's crazy. Because they filmed, I'm sure they filmed in 88. Right, because it came out in 1989. Wow, what a, like, because it kind of, it's hard to tell because it's far enough away. Um, But anyway, I just got a text from Peg and it says pretty sure it was 1989. That's pretty awesome. Okay, go on. Uh, The next coolest part of the movie for me was uh, picking up the hitchhiker. Oh, it's the best. Realizing that it's the younger version of Archie Graham. Okay. One thing I remember, though, is before that, when they're at the game and it says, and he hears go the distance, is, and then when uh, Terrence Mann says, um, you know, he says, go the distance and, or, or no, he doesn't say that yet. He said, what did you hear? And he said, what I heard is let this man go up, you know, go mm-hmm. home. He's done enough. Right. Uh, the first time I watched it, I was so mad. Yeah. Like, gratefully, they figure it out. Yeah. And Terrence Mann admits to hearing something, too. But I remember the moment of being like, oh, my God, tell him. Right. You know? So anyway, we uh, only had to sit in that for a few minutes. My Wi-Fi is a little slow. I think this is it. When they pick up Archie? 
No, no, this is when he thinks he's saying goodbye to... Oh, and then he shows up... You're not telling me. Yeah. I've already taken up too much of your time. So he gets out and all that. I think words are exchanged, maybe not. No, I think he leans in. Oh, okay. But I'm not sure. I wish I had your passion, Ray. Misdirected though it might be, it is still a passion. I used to feel that way about things, but... You got another message, didn't you? You think I'm crazy? I already think you're crazy. What did it say? It said the man's done enough. Leave him alone. <laughs> and you, the reason it, I struggled with it is at that moment you can feel Terrence Mann being vulnerable. Yeah. And he's like, tell me. Maybe yeah. it'll make a difference. And the fact that he doesn't take that opportunity. And I get it. And obviously it, it resolves. But well, I just the way remember. it resolves is, and this is one of my biggest questions. Not okay. biggest, but kind of funny, silly, stupid questions. Mm-hmm. He drives away, makes a U-turn, and then in the headlights, there's Terrence Mann. Right. What if Kevin Costner's character never did a U-turn? Like, there's no cell phones. Like, the fact that he decided instead of... He could have just driven straight, and then that's it. Terrence Mann's out of the movie. Well... But because he did a U-turn, all of a sudden, he shows back up. It's a lot of faith that Terrence Mann had, let's say that, that he was going to do a U-turn. Because otherwise, he was on his way back to Iowa or Minnesota or wherever he was going. I get what you're saying. But I also think Terrence Mann was going to stop him, no matter if he did the U-turn or went forward. Maybe no, Terrence after. Mann would not have been able to catch up with that car, sweetie. Sweetie, he was fast. Yeah. Um, He's Darth Vader. He could just use the force. He could have used the force. That's right. Uh, so, okay. I get I get what you're saying. You with me? Mm-hmm. Uh, picking up the younger Moonlight Graham's kind of awesome. Yeah. Archie. Um, and then, well, and let's stop there. Another cool thing is how he gets in and he's talking about, I can go play ball in mm-hmm. these certain areas and they'll give me a day job. Kind of reminded me, I know it's not the same at all, but like a league of their own, yeah. you know, like they gave right. these people jobs. It yes. was like a thing. Right. That's what and they did. you would just go somewhere to play. Um, I might be, um, skipping over some scenes. So tell me if there's anything else you want to talk about. Okay. But when, uh, the girl falls off the bleacher mm-hmm. And Karen. the young Archie Graham steps off the ball field and turns into Burt Lancaster with the doctor bag. I it's kind of awesome. That's one of the warmest, like most soothing scenes. And I think there's a lot of messages in that scene. First of all, that the innocence of youth is amazing yeah. and the ability to live a dream is amazing. But aging also is amazing. Right. The experience of, you know, and what Burt Lancaster says or what, you know, Archie Graham says, Dr. Graham, he says, you know, if, you know, if I was only able to be a doctor five minutes, that would have been a tragedy. So I think one thing this movie does is where it really highlights our youth and it's nostalgic and we're like, you know, live your dreams when you're young. It also is like, and the rest of your life is pretty damn good too. Yeah. So embrace it all. Well, and I also want to add, uh, so the next part I'm going to see is when we realize Archie can't go back to being Mm, a player. So we're slowly understanding the rules of the field of dreams. Yes. Some people get to go in the corn. Yeah. When they go in the corn, they slowly disappear and then they come Mm -hmm. back and play baseball. Um, Kevin Costner is not invited. Ty Cobb is not invited. Ty Cobb is not invited. (laughs) It turns out that they were friends in real life, which is funny. Oh, that is funny. and Ty Cobb. Um, maybe not. They were, they were friendly towards one another. Let's just say that. Um, so we're starting to kind of get the rules of, and we don't know all the rules There's still more reveals. And that's one of the things I love about this movie is there's like, 
six endings. Yeah. And each one gets more and more satisfying. Yeah. Which is, and I think that's one of the, like if I were to say what sets this movie apart is the amount of satisfying endings that don't seem contrived or forced. Satisfying moments. Yeah. Because they're all throughout the movie, like him showing up. Then he brings in his friends, Mm -hmm. the other eight players who were banned. And then he brings in another team and he's like, and he's so... Shoeless Joe is so cordial. Like, Ray, is this okay mm-hmm. if we bring other players? Right. And, you know, again, it's a movie. But yeah, they're asking if, permission. If I was Ray, I'd be like, dude, bring anyone you want, you know? Um, but there's a like, a, oh, yeah, you can bring them. Uh, but there's such a respect. Like, I think one of the things about this movie, too, is the other thing, the innocence or the nostalgia. And I think this can be in any time period is a respect for other human beings, yeah. a dignity that people treat each other with sure. that is not based in a certain time period. It's based in, you know, every time period has people who treat people with dignity. Yeah. And that's what's so interesting to me is in this time and space, sorry, I'm going to do something, I'm going to do a history thing. In this time and space, those of us who have gone to school and looked at pictures and watched people who burned books and watched people who were like against, you know, desegregating and watch people and we like would look at people in the pictures and be like, who are those awful people? who, you know, yell at kids as they're going into school or burn books or who go against women's rights. And it's happening again. And how do people not see themselves in that? How do people not think about the, the, the pictures and the history they've learned and realize they're those people now? Mm -hmm. I don't, it's, it's a disconnect for me. Um, you know, and, and I know the answer would be like, that's, you know, greed, you know, power, um, lack of education. Like there are reasons, but I think this movie gives us this inherent dignity of all people, which is why it's so warm, Mm -hmm. you know, not perfect people, but good people. Yeah. And then this scene. Bleachers. Sit in shirt sleeves on a perfect afternoon. They'll find they have reserved seats somewhere along one of the baselines where they sat when they were children and cheered their heroes and they'll watch the game and it'll be as if they dipped themselves in magic waters the memories will be so thick they'll have to brush them away from their faces Ray, when the bank opens in the morning they'll foreclose people will come, Ray you're broke, Ray You sell now or you lose everything. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. 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 People will come, Ray. So, you know, so let's just talk about baseball for a second. Please. (laughs) Let's. So I don't know. I mean, it's not a Midwestern thing because there's baseball teams in every state and every place. And, you know, it's I don't want to just connect it to the Midwest or us. But you and I both have a really strong relationship with baseball. I know you are a bigger sports fan than I am, mm-hmm. meaning you know the history of baseball and you've, you know, been very dedicated to the sport yourself. Sure. Um, but it's for me, it's been more of a constant of my life. Sure. Like I was thinking about this last night because I feel the same things about baseball or similar things that you do. Yeah. And I did play. I played softball. Um, I didn't play baseball, but softball is the same kind of so energy. So you struck out Manisha to end the season. I did. Um, and so I obviously know how to play. And it was just a big part of my family, sure. you know, like a big part of living in Chicago or we lived outside of Chicago. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's we're such, um, you know, 
the like I don't know how to say this, but not enjoying baseball seems weird yeah. to me. Like when someone's like, "What game would you want to watch on TV the most?" and it's like baseball Mm -hmm. like that just seems like the way to go but i know not everybody feels that way i know some people are much bigger football fans or hockey fans or whatever it may be soccer um but that's another reason i think you and i connect to this movie is because all that nostalgia he's talking about you and i have so we feel we look at a you know you look out at the corn or you watch ball players and you get that feeling of a comfort food you know not food but you know it's like a comfort feel yeah well, and I want to, so, so yeah, I, I grew up playing baseball. I love baseball. I like going to the games. I like watching the games. Obviously, you know, they say like it's the one game that never changes. It changes all the time. Changes. Mm-hmm. There was no DH in 1962. Yeah. We came out with the DH in the 60s or the 70s. There is no pitch clock. Now there is, 2023. There were no lights in Wrigley Field. There's no lights in Wrigley Field. So it, it does change. Um, but in this, but there are certain aspects of it that never do. So it's wonderful. And it reminds me of that scene. I tried to find it. I can't find it. In City Slickers, where Daniel Stern's character is talking about uh, his relationship with his, his father. Mm-hmm. And there was a time in his life where he could not connect with his dad at all, but they can still talk about baseball. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I always kind of get goosebumpy when I think of that too, because I think that is completely true in many men's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, baseball and sports overall, yeah, don't sports, you think? But yeah, but, so it, but insert, baseball's bigger. Insert whatever sport you mm-hmm. want, but yeah, so. Well, and we, so let's do a quick lineup of baseball movies that we love. Field of Dreams is obvious. We love Fever Pitch. I know people didn't love Fever Pitch, but we did. We I watch it Fe- all Fever the time. Pitch. It's um, Jimmy Fallon and Drew Barrymore. Mm-hmm. Um, we love A League of Their Own. Mm-hmm. Um, we love uh, Bull Durham. Mm-hmm. We love, sorry, I'm putting us together, but we, we love all these movies. For sure. Um, What's another good baseball keep, movie? You want me to help yeah, you keep out? going. The Natural. The Natural. You love that more than I do. Um, uh, do you say Major League? Oh, Major League. Love yeah. Major League. I did not see, or if I saw Eight Men Out, it's been too long. Eight Men Out's a good movie. It's not funny or anything, but it's a good movie. Major League. I love Major League. I'm going to Google Joe 20 Boo. best baseball movies and see what happens. Okay. Let's see what we got. Um, is it spongy? Field of Dreams, the natural. Number one is Field of Dreams. Number okay. two is the natural. Okay. Three is a league of their own. Four yep. is Bull Durham. Five is Moneyball. Oh yeah, I love Moneyball. But Moneyball is interesting because there's no warmth in Moneyball. No, I think Moneyball is what you're talking about where it changes. Mm-hmm. Baseball changes, so that's an easy movie to watch. Yeah. but it's not a Bull Durham movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Major League, then Forty Two, which I'm embarrassed to say I've not yet <sighs> seen. Neither have I. That's um, wrong. And then is, here's, that, is that Chadwick Boseman? Uh, I don't know who played Jackie Robinson. Yeah, I think it's But Chad- I heard it was really good. Mm-hmm. And then I will also, my hottest take of this podcast will be this one. I think The Sandlot is completely overrated. Oh. And I know men my age love that movie. Okay. And I watched it on an airplane like three years ago, and I kept waiting for it to get good. And and I'm I'm embarrassed or sad or scared to admit that it might be that the movie, if I would have watched this movie 30 when years ago, child. I would have loved it. It's but like now Goonies. that I'm an old man, I don't think it's as as good. Yeah, I think that there's movies like Gremlins and Goonies and stuff like that, that if you watched it when you were young, it made an imprint. But Goonies is still awesome. Because you saw it as a kid. You're not making the connection Got here. it. So you're saying if I would have yeah. seen Sandlot yeah. when it came out in 1993 when I was a 19-year-old man. Todd, how many movies did we see in the early 80s that were like, it's the best, and then we watch it now and we're like, OMG. What were we thinking? It's sure. so bad. So how about before you read it, Bad News Bears? We loved that. Uh, bad News Bears is number 12. Okay. 
Um, and then they have a bunch that I have not seen. Yeah, say a few of them just to see. The Rookie, Pride of the Yankees, which I think is about Lou Gehrig. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bang the Drum Slowly mm-hmm. for Love of the Game, which is another Kevin Costner We've movie. seen that one. I've never seen it. Yeah. Uh, the Stratton Story, The Pride of St. Louis. Isn't Judy Garland in that? Oh, that's a spirit. That's Meet of, Me in St. Louis. I thought it was Spirit of St. Louis. Oh, I thought it was Meet Me in St. Louis. I don't know. Well, what about the one, wasn't Justin Timberlake in a baseball movie? Let's just say if he was, it was a bad movie. Okay, <laughs> let's just go ahead with that. Okay, so. My last two scenes. Oh, what about The Fan with Robert De Niro? <sighs> Wesley Snipes? Yeah. <laughs> it's a funny movie. Yeah. What about what about Naked Gun? There's a lot of baseball yes. in that yeah he was enrico palazzo enrico palazzo it's <laughs> great um so the last two coolest parts of the movie okay uh obviously we see the dad yeah oh. and then the ending shot on the helicopter with all the so with cool. all the lights so cool well can i so let's talk about his dad so john kinsella i literally thought forever that mm. that actor was campbell scott is that the guy from singles yes oh really doesn't it look like campbell scott similarities yeah, he was in he was in Singles and he was in Dying Young with I, Julia Roberts. I think he looks like the guy from River Runs Through It, the the Chorpo brother of the female lead in River Runs Through It. Oh yeah, yeah, a little bit. Whatever that guy's but, name like, is. But like Campbell Scott was so chiseled. And then even this is a crazy one. Griffin Dunn, who now is in This Is Us and is the brother and he's an old guy. So everybody visualizes him that way, but he kind of looked like him too. We had a lot of actors that had a similar, but point being is that Dwyer Brown, Mm -hmm. I'd never heard that name before. No. Did you know who that was? No. Okay. But anyway, that's John Kinsella. Well, I just wonder if we do an IMDB on that guy. Um, what's his name? Dwyer Brown. And he's, he's like still kind of using Field of Dreams. He wrote a book called If You Build It. He was in To Live and Die in L.A. Oh, I like that movie. He was in Red Dragon. Didn't see that. And The Cutting Edge. The ice skating movie? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And his last, uh, entry in the IMDb is in 2016. So he's, um... Not acting as much? He's not doing much these days. Anyway, I just never knew it So was. those are my favorite scenes. Um, and let's see, what else did I have here? A few quotes uh, that we haven't yet talked about. Okay. Um, let's see. Ease his pain, go the distance. So those are the... Th- so talk to me about go the distance. I don't know. I, I don't think it's as symbolic... I don't either. Symbolically impactful as the other ones. Does it mean, mean keep don't going? Quit. Yeah, yeah, just don't quit. Yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, ease his pain is pretty good. If you mm-hmm. build it, he will come. There is a lot of people that think if you build it, he they will come. Yeah, I said that last night. Yeah. I was like, it's so funny. I was expecting him to say they. Yeah. Um, let's see. And so, yeah, I have a bunch of trivia. Okay, let's hear it. All right. I'm going to go with, so when you get bored, you got to tell me. You know I will. All right. Uh, according to the supplementary material on the DVD, shortly before shooting began, Dwyer Brown, mm-hmm. the one who we were just talking about, mm-hmm. John Kinsella was notified that his father unfortunately passed away. Immediately after the funeral, he traveled directly from the funeral to filming in Iowa for the scene. He stated that although the emotion was too fresh and painful, it had an effect on how he eventually played his scene with Kevin Costner. Mm, That's lovely. I mean, sad, but lovely. After the movie was completed, test audiences didn't like the original film titled Shoeless. So it was originally supposed to be titled Shoeless because they said it sounded like a movie about a bum or a hobo. Yeah. Universal called the director and screenwriter to tell him that Shoeless Joe didn't work and the studio changed the title of the film to Field of Dreams. When Robinson heard the news of the change, he called Kinsella, who's the author of the book, and told him the bad news. But apparently he didn't care, saying that Shoeless Joe was the title the publishing company gave the book. 
Kinsella's original title was Dreamfield. I can relate. Yeah, yeah, publishers give new book, new titles. So I feel like when you were like, if I had to come up with a title for that movie and I'm fine with Field of Dreams, I would have said like the baseball field mm. or something very literal yeah. about or go the distance or if you build it. Yeah, I you agree. Know? I, I, I agree. I don't think Field of Dreams is the, I mean, it's hard to argue with it because that's what we know, mm-hmm. but I agree. I think it could have been any of the things that you just said. Yeah. Uh, during a lunch with the Iowa Chamber of Commerce, the director broached his idea of the final scene in which headlights could be seen for miles along the horizon. The chamber folks replied that it could be done, and the shooting of the final scene became a community event. The film crew was hidden on the farm to make sure the aerial shots did not reveal them. Dyersville was then blacked out, and local extras drove their vehicles to the field in order to give the illusion of movement. The drivers were instructed to continuously switch between their low and high beams. So basically what Todd's saying, everybody, is that when that pull-away shot at the end where they, like, pull back mm-hmm. in the helicopter, those cars lined up are really cars. Yeah. So, like, we're so used to CGI and things being created, right. but they really did that. Right. Um, and like you said, they only had a few opportunities to get that shot. And so it's really amazing. And by the way, I mean, I'm just going to throw this in here in case we don't say it. We've been to Dyersville, yeah. um, Iowa. We crushed it. We crushed it. We played on the field. Mm-hmm. We took pictures of the girls in the corn, and they were like, why are we doing this? And we're like, someday you'll understand. Or did we watch it first? I think we watched it the night before. I think we watched it the night before. You're right. But, they, you know, they were in the field. Mm-hmm. And then there's a picture of us in your in our bathroom at the field. It's on your mirror. Oh, really? Yeah, we both we brought our gloves. Oh, remember? Yeah, we play catch. We play catch, and then um, now they have a baseball field there, right, Todd? They sure do. And I'm going to play a clip from what happened on that baseball field two years ago when we were watching this, this game. Was crazy. So the very first professional major league baseball game happened in the summer of nine, of 2021, and my beloved Chicago White Sox were playing those nasty New York Yankees. No, and it was nasty. a good game, and we watched the entire thing. And it was they had all this fanfare, um, fanfare beforehand. Kevin Costner Kevin was there. Is like really sweet and wonderful. And so the one thing about baseball, like talk about a cool idea. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know, there's, can you think of any other sport where they could do something this cool? Like go in the middle of nowhere, Iowa. Mm-hmm. And host a major league baseball game in the middle of the corn. Like it doesn't get much more mysterious, nostalgia. I mean, than that. again, it's like Field of Dreams was about nostalgia. Now we have nostalgia about Field of Dreams. Like it, it taps into something we all long for. True. So the White Sox were winning, and then the top of the ninth, the nasty New York Yankees took the lead off of our closer. I think Liam Hendricks was our closer at the time, and I was really, really sad. Mm-hmm. And then with one out. In the bottom of ninth, with one man on, mm-hmm. this happened. Anderson. Hits it in the end right. Back at the wall, and the White Sox win it. It might, Crazy. Go, it might go down as, and now I'm a Sox fan. Uh, but I can't skip over the Cubs game seven in extra innings. That's probably the best yeah. baseball game I've ever witnessed. Mm-hmm. I, I am a Cubs fan. I just don't like them nearly as much as I like the White Sox. But this game might be second. Mm-hmm. And it was a meaning, not meaningless, but it was, it, it wasn't a playoff game. What do they call that? A game, a game where it does like all-star game. What kind of game do they call that? 
Um, I know the term you're thinking of, an exhibition game. Exhibition, This was yep. not an exhibition, though. Mm -hmm. This counted oh, it did. in the standings. Okay. So an all-star game does not count in the standings, Got whereas it. this did. Um, but it was just a magical night, and the fact that Tim Timmy went deep was crazy. And what, do we have to call the New York fans nasty? Yes. Is that necessary? Yes. Everybody like who's not a Yankees fan will agree with me. I understand, because they're always really good. Your, I like the city of New York, is what I'm saying. I just don't want to well, cast And I will away. say, in the 70s and 80s, I really had a... Hatred's probably too strong a word. An extreme dislike for the Yankees. The problem is in the 90s and the 2000s, mm. Jeter showed up. Yeah, he was And such Joe a good... Torre showed up. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bernie... A-Rod? No, A-Rod is very... He was very unlikable as a player. Ah. Um, Bernie... God, I forgot Bernie's last name. There was a lot of likable guys, mm. and they were winning World Series. Yes. Um, so there was just... And I did love Don Mattingly in the 70s and 80s. A lot of people have no idea who I'm talking about. Um but anyways, can you take a guess on how many World Series titles uh, that the White Sox have? Let's let's start there. Yeah. Um, take a guess how many World Series the Chicago White Sox had. Three. I'm going to double check my numbers. Series to the White Sox. I, how do you not know this off the top of your head? Because they've been around 130 uh, years, sweetie. Okay. Um, three times. Good Thank job. You. Now we're going to ask the Cubbies. And take a guess on how many the Cubs have won. Two. Um, hold on, i got to switch it. Sorry for the delay, everybody, but I wasn't ready for Todd's this question. Googling. Googling. Uh, I'm actually... Using um, chat. Oh, actually, apologies for the error. So the chat is saying it screwed up. It's apologizing for its screw-up. Oh, thank you, chat. Um, where is the Cubbies? Um, so that was wrong about the White Sox? Actually, no. It stayed as, it stayed as three for the White Sox. Then why is it apologizing? The Cubbies also won three times. 1907, oh. 1908, and 2016. Oh, so they won back to back. And how many do you think the Yankees have? Oh, pfft. <sighs> 12? 27. Oh, my gosh. Really? That's why it's yeah, easy to, to hate dislike the them. Yes. And the team who has the second most World Series championships, can you take a guess? Uh, I, part of me wants to say Boston, but that's not right because they no, it they, took them forever a, to yeah, get a championship. A um, don't don't tell me. Let me guess. Um, I'm gonna say. Oh, I know Braves. Good guess. It's the St. Louis Cardinals. Oh. They have won eleven. Times. And they're like our nemesis when it comes to the Cubs. They are. They mm -hmm. are. Um, okay, incorrectly cited as a goof is when one player turns around and jokingly mimics the witch of the Wizard of Oz by saying, I'm melting, I'm melting. I don't like that in the movie. The Chicago White Sox players of the Black Sox scandal repute wa were from 1919. Right. Well, the movie didn't premiere until 1939. However, the players remember their lives after baseball. Oh. Since one remarks he hadn't had a cigarette for 18 years. So they all would have known about the film unless they died before 1939. I love when he's like, he hasn't had a cigarette. And then he's like, uh, do you smoke? Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and again, in that moment, I'm thinking to myself, I would go get this dude a pack of cigarettes. Yes. He's already dead. So right. like, let's let's let him enjoy. Um, I don't like that scene. Yeah. And and I, I feel, I, I don't really care. It doesn't hurt the movie or anything. And it has nothing to do with my love of The Wizard of Oz. It's just it doesn't fit because yeah. I feel like they're more accepting mm -hmm. of the magic and the mystery in the corn and that they're not making light of it. Right. So I don't like that. I don't know why they put that in. 
Um, the director wanted very little said between Ray Kinsella's character and his father's ghost in the last scene. He originally wrote and shot it to have Ray catch himself as he was about to introduce the ghost of his father to his wife. Uh, and he does. Preview audiences were either confused about who the character was or thought Ray was cruel for not acknowledging their relationship. So then Robin, so the director added the line, hey, dad, you want to have a catch? And it tested very well. So it's the, the best scene. It's the best line in the movie. Yeah. The original one did not yeah. say, not the original, but the their first cut. And then the test audience said, you got to give us that line. And and so before it just said, want to have a catch. It didn't say, hey, dad. And they left, you know, the scene is in there where he's like, you know, this is Annie. This is my, you know, he's he about says dad. Catches himself. And and I get it. But there's no reason like the players are aware. Mm -hmm. Like it's not like. Was he trying to say that in the original? Was he not sharing that to protect his daughter because it made no sense? I the daughter's been watching ghosts yeah, so on the cares? field. Why like introduce introduce his daughter to his to her grandfather. I think it, they are so uncomfortable with each other mm-hmm. that they had to because it's kind of lovely because when Annie and Karen go inside, the two of them walk together and they stare at each other the whole time. Mm-hmm. It was very sleepless in Seattle, yeah. you know, when Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan stare at each other as they're walking. Yeah, um, and and I. It wasn't odd. That's what you would do if you were like, I'm seeing somebody mm-hmm. and it's this person I know, but they're, you know, it's them when they were young. Right. Um, but I mean, I'm so grateful they did change that scene because that's what makes me cry. And then what's the other, you, you want to say the other one that we talked about last night, the ending that they changed, not for this movie, but for a different movie, Shawshank? Oh, yeah. Do you want me to say it or do you know? No, well go ahead. I know what it is, but you can the say The original it. ending for Shawshank was supposed to be red on the bus looking out at the looking into the sun and just talking about a free man, all the hope and Mm -hmm. everything else. And they had to reshoot. They had to bring him back, Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman to shoot the one where he's working on his boat on the beach because the audience was not satisfied with that. I am a hundred percent. Can you imagine that movie? Mm -mm. I think it would have been almost as good of a movie with red on the bus, but it's just, it brought it all home. Well, I would have been like, is he going to make it over the border? Because he actually says on the bus, I hope I make it yeah. over the border. Yeah. I hope that, you know, I want to shake my friend's hand. Did I say that right? That I want to shake my friend's hand. And we need to see that. Yeah. We we need to see that Andy's okay. Yeah. We need to see that Red makes it over the border. And the thing, that movie, you know, I you and I did a pop culturing about it. So anybody who wants to... Um, listen to that that's in a previous that's a previous pop culturing episode just scroll through our previous shows but that scene is what makes Shawshank Shawshank like it's amazing movie but without that same with Field of Dreams like without those little tweaks that's why you do test audiences yes Um, Ray Liotta he's now passed moment Mm -hmm. of silence for Ray Uh, he actually has never seen the completed movie I don't think he's seen any of his movies. No, that's not true. Oh, it isn't. Okay. At the time of the filming, his mother was in ailing health, which negatively affected his experience in making the film. His mother ah. died about a year later while Iota was filming Goodfellas. So he had, he chose not to ever see the movie. We say his last name differently. Liotta? I say Leota. I think you're right. Do you think? I think it's Leota. Ray Leota. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, the movie line... If you build it, he will come. Was voted the 39th uh, best movie quote in the American Film Institute out of a hundred. 
Oh, and I told you to write down, speaking of other movies, there is a moment when um, Annie brings up Citizen Kane. It's just a really quick moment where she says something like in this baseball, she says something like, oh, and he had a something, a a baseball bat named Rosebud or something. Because on a previous... No, I think it was on a Zen Parenting Radio podcast. We were talking about our, uh, the most overrated movie. Mm-hmm. And I said Citizen, Citizen Kane. Kane. Um, but the understanding, like just that scene, if someone hasn't seen it, you wouldn't know what she was talking about. Sure. Unless you had read about it, I guess. There's ways. But um, so so what's the number one phrase? Is it Rosebud? Uh, well, I'll, I'm not going to say all 38 that's in front of them. Just do number one. Uh, but I'll just... The 38th one okay. is also a baseball movie. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. 37th is I'll be back. Okay. And then 35th is you're going to need a bigger boat. But we got to know number one. You ready? Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Oh, yeah. Clark. And then number two is I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Okay. Um, okay. So I think one or two more and then we'll be done. Okay. Uh, we already talked about that one. And we already talked about that one. So we're done with the trivia. Let's okay. see if there's anything else I missed. Oh, can I talk about a scene that I thought was touching? Sure. That I wrote down that is really random? Sure. It is a scene uh, when they are in Galena, but they're really in the, in the movie, they're in Minnesota, but they... Um, they go to see, they go to find you know Moonlight Graham, and they end up going to this place where this woman tells them that he has died, mm-hmm. and so she reads the obituary to them, and it's a beautiful obituary about what a lovely human he was, mm-hmm. and Terrence Mann says to her, "You're a wonderful writer." And she says back, and so are you, mm-hmm. which it's like a, he hasn't really been writing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it, it's a moment. And the thing that I read, her name was Anne Seymour, and the two of them were friends. Oh. She and uh, uh, James Earl Jones. Oh, that's right. They were on. They were on Broadway together. together. I, I read that And that too. was her last movie. She died. And then we also love the scene that we didn't mention. James Earl Jones goes to, or Terrence Mann goes to the bar, and the man is telling him about how Dr. Graham got a blue hat. Mm-hmm. for his wife every time he passed like the stores would stock blue hats because they knew he would buy them and then when he died they went in his office and he had a whole closet full of blue hats he hadn't given her mm-hmm. and it's really touching mm-hmm. that way the actor does it yeah because he's like i bet you didn't know that did you that's nice mm-hmm. um okay last but not least okay. um 10 great father-son movies field of dreams ranks first do you have any guesses who might also be in the top ten? God, okay, uh, not Godfather, maybe. Yeah, number nine. Okay. Um, oh, geez. Okay, Father. So, well, I would say Billy Elliot, but I don't know if nope. that's on that list. Um, Did not make it, even though it's outstanding. Yes. Uh, let's see, Father, Son. Oh, not big, not. Do do. Yeah, give me like one second to think. I'm not going to look anything up. I just want to like have an opportunity to talk about. Sweet, I'm going to give you some theme, some theme music. Okay. Isn't there a movie called Dad? <laughs> yeah, with um, Ted Danson. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Is that on that list? Oh, jeez. I feel under the gun. You are under the gun. Okay, no, I don't know. I don't want to waste people's um, time. Number two, I've never seen it, The Pursuit of Happiness with uh, Will oh, Smith. Oh, Will Smith and his son, his real son. Oh, really? Mm, Jaden Smith. Number it. three, a movie called Big Fish. Never heard of that. Oh, it's so good. Is it? That is um, our guy, Ewan uh, McGregor. Ewan McGregor. It's kind of a... Oh, wow. Yeah. 
Um, actually, Ewan McGregor. What's the movie that Shane? He's in the other one with the dad. Yeah. Um, he is the beginning beginners. Yes. That was really That's good. a good father son mm-hmm. movie too. Um, a movie called The Road in 2009. Uh, Life uh, the, is Beautiful, 1997. Yeah. I, I haven't seen that one. It's a Holocaust movie. The Lion King. Yeah, of course. Finding Nemo. Yeah. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yeah, that's uh, Sean. What's his name? James Bond. Connery. Connery. Thank you. Uh, and then lastly, Boyhood. Oh, duh. Yeah. It's good stuff. But that's not necessarily father son. That's boy. Family. Yeah. yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Um, any closing thoughts? No, just that uh, what I will, I mean, no big closing thoughts. What I will say to everybody, though, is this is a great family movie. For sure. So if you're kind of like, oh, I don't have a movie to show my kids, I think that, I don't just think, this movie holds up big time. And for the parts that it doesn't hold up, you know, for our kids who point out everything about it that looks old, it's a good conversation. Sure. It's like interesting. I mean, it was right on the the verge of going from 80s to 90s, Um, you know, it, it, leaves you feeling optimistic, like Todd said, full of wonder, full of awe. Like our girl, two of our girls were kind of doing other things last night, but basically sat down and watched it with us. They Mm -hmm. were kind of pulled in again. And, you know, what we should have done last night, Todd, was watched Succession and then Then Field of Dreams Dreams because Succession was the biggest buzzkill in the world. That should talk about not being optimistic. Um, But uh, but anyway, I would just say... um, you know, put it on the top of your family list. And I'm going to say happy Father's Day to all the fellow dads out there. The way I choose to celebrate that is uh, I want to be around my family, but I also want to watch the U.S. Open, yeah. which is just a wonderful tradition for me. I, I'm a huge fan of the majors, and I think U.S. Open is my favorite, even more so than the Masters, which I think a lot of people would say the Masters. So You want to just watch and, like, fall asleep if you want to yeah. and then get food and yeah. not worry about being on. Right, or if we want to play kickball or do something fun i'd like to do that too so um all right here comes our outro music uh if you have any suggestions on other movies that you want us to cover just shoot us an email todd is on parentingradio.com keep trucking everybody Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have appreciated or enjoyed a decade of Zen Parenting Radio podcasts, please tell a friend or leave a five-star review. We are grateful for your support. If you want more Zen Parenting, consider joining Team Zen Circle, our very own app that includes our virtual community, exclusive content, and support from us. You could also purchase Kathy's award-winning book, Zen Parenting, Caring for Ourselves and Our Children in an Unpredictable World or subscribe to Zen Parenting Moment. You can find these opportunities and more at zenparentingradio.com slash resources. And if you want to connect through social networking, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep trucking, and we'll talk to you again next week.